Well, good morning, everyone. So glad to have all of you on all of our campuses. As you know, we are in our second week of our series, or if you didn't know that, you know we're in a series called Killing It, and today is the second week of this series. And really what this series, Killing It, is all about is killing that thing that's in us that has the potential to kill everything good in us and everything around us. And last week, we identified what that is, and it's this thing called pride. And so we're spending three weeks talking about how to kill pride and why it's so important for us to deal with this because as we learned last week, every one of us, we deal with this at one level or another. For example, last week we gave you the idea of how many selfies were being taken in our nation and how many were being taken like in 10 seconds and those kind of things. It was amazing. And uh, today, just kind of give you another one like to help us understand how we all deal with pride at some level. If you've ever been in a group photo, think about it this way. If you've ever been in a group photo and you're in that picture, I mean, like when you look at the picture, who is the first person that you look for in that picture? And you look for yourself, right? And if it's a good picture of you and a bad picture of everybody else, you still say it's a good picture. That's exactly right. You do. Or if it's a good picture of everyone else and it's a bad picture of you, what kind of picture is it? It is a, that's exactly right, terrible. It's not just a bad picture. It's a terrible picture, right? In fact, uh, last week um, after the talk, someone texted me this and they said this, selfie stick equals one of narcissism. And I thought, you know, that, that's pretty much true. You know, every one of us, we go through life um, daily, weekly, whatever. While we may not have a physical selfie stick, every one of us at some level, we have some kind of selfie stick that casts out to other people, hey, that, this person is a little bit full of themselves. Because the reality is we all deal with pride at one level or another. So this is really a safe place to go, grow on all of our campuses. This is a safe place for all of us really to admit that we are all dealing with this issue of pride. And when we talk about growing on this issue of pride, we're talking about killing the pride that is in our lives. 
Now, once again, while we all kind of naturally kind of think of other people, we talked about this last week, and when we revealed the six ways that pride is revealed in us, the sixth one was we tend to think of other people, right? So we all naturally kind of think of other people who are filled with pride, and very few of us, unless we're really intentional to stop and think about it, realize how we struggle with it. And if we do recognize how we struggle with it a little bit, we, we really don't see how damaging it is to our lives. In fact, as a pastor, I mean, I've had people come to me for so many different, or say, listen, I want to talk to you about, you know, like financial issues, sexual issues, depression, anxiety, you know, addictions, lying, anger, marriage problems, all those kind of things. And they'll often identify what they want to talk about before they come. But I've never had a single person ask for an appointment so that they can come and talk about their pride problem. And I think that's why it's so important for us to talk about this for this three-week series, because so many times we are unaware of the pride that is in our life, and we're unaware of what pride is doing to us. And while we're going through life kind of being unaware of what pride is doing to us, God is very aware of how dangerous, how destructive, how devastating pride is to us. Truth is, if you really stop and think about it, for a majority of the issues in our life, pride is the link to most of our problems. In fact, I want you to notice again, this is kind of like the foundational verse for this series. I want you to notice again with me what Solomon said. He's the wisest man who ever lived. Notice how he talks about how pride sabotages us. Notice this, Proverbs 16, 18. First pride, then the crash. And most of us, we've experienced this series of events, whether we realize it or whether we knew that we were experiencing it or not, or not, because we've experienced this in our finances, we've experienced this in a relationship or multiple relationships, we've experienced this in our career, and as we said last week, we've even experienced this in our motion, emotions, because here's what happens. We go through life and we thought everything was fine. I mean, we thought we had everything under control. I mean, we thought we were holding it together. You know, we, we just thought everything was going our way. And then we experienced a crash. And when our life crashed, or when that crash happened in our life, we couldn't believe it was happening to us. And our big question is, you know, why am I experiencing this crash? Like, like, why am I broke, or, or why did she leave, or why didn't I get that promotion, or why am I so overwhelmed emotionally? See, pride causes a lot of crashes for a lot of us, and we don't even realize it. In fact, pride has caused a lot of destruction in many of our lives without us realizing that it was pride that was doing that. So what we challenged you to do last week was, we said, listen, you go out in your week and you call out pride. You begin to kill pride because if we don't, everything that pride touches, pride will kill. And not just everything around us and even in us, but something else pride does is it even destroys our connection to God. Our connection to God is destroyed by pride. Notice how the psalmist says it this way, Psalms chapter 10, verse four. He says, in his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In his thoughts, there is no room for God. And literally what the psalmist David is saying is this, unbridled pride eventually leads to this thing called practical atheism. And, and practical atheism basically means that we live as if we are in control of our lives. We, we live depending on ourselves 
instead of God. Which means, and, and, and I know some of us may have never thought about it this way before, but it means it might be your pride, not your intellect, that is keeping you from a close relationship with God. Because some of you have heard it said this way, is our ego kind of stands for pride edging God out. And so sometimes we think, well, you know, I've got these intellectual issues with God, when reality it may be, as David said, it, it may just be our pride that is edging God out. So today what we're gonna do is we wanna share a story with you. It comes from the Old Testament and it helps us understand how dangerous pride for us is when we let it edge God out and then what we need to do about it. So we find the story in Daniel chapter four. If you got your Bibles, you can go with us to Daniel chapter four. And it's a story in which the most powerful person in the world at that time is reminded in kind of the most extreme way that any kind of power or prestige or any kind of gifts or blessings or possessions, they are truly gifts from God that we are called to manage. In fact, th this person had to learn it the hard way of what pride really does to us. And the reason that God allowed him to learn the hard way is so that we wouldn't have to. Now, let me give you a little bit about more background before we get into the story, and that is this. Basically, as we get into the story, you're going to discover that God has allowed King Nebuchadnezzar, he's the king of Babylon, and he's the most powerful, or he's the king of the most powerful kingdom in the world at this time, but he's allowed King Nebuchadnezzar to take the Jewish people and even some other nations around the Jewish nation into captivity. Now, this means, in Nebuchadnezzar's mind, that the gods of the other nations, the na nations he's taken in, into captivity, that in his mind, these gods are powerless because Nebuchadnezzar was an idolatrous king, and so he had all these gods, and, and in his way, if he conquered other nations, he conquered their gods as well because he thought himself to kind of be a god, and then he felt like he controlled all, or, all of his gods. And so this, in his mind, makes him like the most powerful person in the world. But while Nebuchadnezzar thinks that the God of Israel, the one true God, and these other gods are all powerless, God decides to teach this most powerful man on earth in his mind. He goes, I'm going to teach you and the rest of the world how God deals with pride. Now, here's what we're going to discover. That this lesson wasn't just for Nebuchadnezzar. This lesson is for every one of us. Notice how this starts out in Daniel chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. Here's what it says. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. So according to Nebuchadnezzar, as he's looking back on his story and that he's about to tell and thinking about what has happened to him, according to Nebuchadnezzar, understanding and applying this lesson on pride, it is like one of the keys to true success in your life, no, no matter where you live or when you live. And this is like a lesson for everyone because as Nebuchadnezzar is about to show us, pride is everybody's issue. And then Nebuchadnezzar begins to tell his story. And he begins it in verse 4. Look with me beginning in verse 4. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. Now, don't miss what he's saying here. Literally what he's saying is, I was at home in my palace, and I felt like I had everything under control, and I was prosperous. 
Now, here's the thing. When, when we first look at this phrase right here, in my palace, contented and prosperous, at first glance, I mean, this phrase, it doesn't seem like it's anything really out of the ordinary for a king. I mean, because kings were like supposed to be like contented and prosperous and in control, that kind of thing. But remember this. We don't see pride for what it is at first. That's why Solomon said, first pride, then the crash. Notice verse five. He said, I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in my bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind, they terrified me. Now he begins to reveal his dream to us. He says, I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the beasts of the field found shelter, and the birds of the air lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. So there's this giant tree that's in this dream that he sees. And this tree, it represents majesty, power, strength, kind of dominion, that kind of idea. So there's an amazing tree. And then he goes on. And there before me was a messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree. And then he goes on and gives some other details. Now, the other details are found in the message but this is kind of the main point. Cut down the tree, and then he says something else. If you want to drop down to verse 17, notice what he says from the messenger. The decision is announced by the messengers. The Holy One declares the verdict, so that the living may know, which means God gave Nebuchadnezzar a dream, not just for himself, but for all the living, not just the living then, but also the living now, and here is the last part of the dream. Notice what he says. So that all the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and he gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. And literally what the messenger is saying to Nebuchadnezzar, any authority, any role, any privilege, any benefit, any opportunity, any blessing that you have in life, it is a gift from God. Now, this dream kind of messes with Nebuchadnezzar. And, and, and Nebuchadnezzar calls in his counsel, and, and Daniel is one of the guys in his counsel. And so Daniel hears the dream, and, and he gives Nebuchadnezzar the meaning of the dream. In fact, notice what he says You, O king, are that tree. Literally, he's saying, Nebuchadnezzar, you, you need to be alarmed. Because this tree is not good news for you. Because remember, the tree's gonna be cut down. He's like, this, this is not good news. You should have been terrified. And then he continues on in, verse, in, in the next part of the verse. He says, this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord, the King. And here's what the decree is. You'll be driven away from the people and will live with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. And then he says, seven times. Now, we, we don't know if that's seven months or seven years. Most likely, it was probably seven years. But notice what he says. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign of the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. 
The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots mean that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. I just love that last line. I've just kind of camped on that last line for last 15 or 20 years of my life going, wow, Paul, you have to remember that heaven rules. Because what Daniel is saying to Nebuchadnezzar, he's saying the messenger from heaven is literally saying, Nebuchadnezzar, in your pride, you, you think that you are in control. I mean, you think that you have conquered all these nations by your power and by your strength and by your might, but here is the reality, Nebuchadnezzar. God is gonna show you that even though you are like the king of the greatest nation on the earth in this moment, everything, Nebuchadnezzar, that you have, it is a gift from God until you acknowledge, until you acknowledge that heaven rules. So he says, listen, God's gonna show you that. So everything you have is a gift. Now, what God is teaching Nebuchadnezzar and everybody else on the earth then and now, and, and this is the thing we have to understand, this is the big idea. Any authority, any role, any benefit, any opportunity, any blessing, anything that you have, it is a gift of God, not because we earned it. Now, that's difficult for some of us because we sit here and we go, yeah, but you don't understand how hard I work. You don't understand how much I sacrificed. You don't understand how much effort I put in. Let me, let me ask you this question. Who gave you the talent and the ability? Who gave you the strength to do what you did? Who, who gave you the ability to have that kind of endurance, to have that kind of push through? Who gave you the talent? Who gave you all of that? See, here's the thing we need to understand. Just because you have some kind of authority, a certain kind of role or opportunity or blessing, you are still just a manager of the gifts and the blessings that we have from God. Because the reality is God still rules over the kingdom of men. And we are just managers of the blessings that he chooses to give to us. But Nebuchadnezzar, in his pride, I mean, he's so much like us, so we're not pointing any fingers at Nebuchadnezzar. We start thinking somehow we have achieved what we have in life by our efforts. See, we, we start thinking that somehow we deserve what we have. And, and we don't just think that we deserve what we have. We think we deserve what we have and even more. Listen. Don't miss this. I mean, if you ever traveled to like a third world country, you understand this. Just the advantage that you get by being, in, being born in a first world country like the United States, I mean, that, that's just an amazing gift from God. I and mean, you get a leg up on so many other people in the world. And to think that somehow or another you earn that or you deserve that, and that's just an amazing gift from God. See, we forget that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men, and he gives them to anyone that he wishes. So where you're born, to be born in the United States of America, that is an amazing gift from God. And we miss it, that God is sovereign, and everything we have is a gift from him, even the ability to achieve what we've achieved. Now, just like we don't get it, you gotta ask yourself this question, did Nebuchadnezzar get this? Well, look at Daniel chapter four, verse 29. 12 months later, 
Any of you ever had a 12-month later experience in your life? You know what I'm talking about? It's like you have a close, close call in a car. Almost, you know, you have this, almost have a car wreck, and you go, oh, that could have cost me my life, and whew, I'm be more careful and quit texting and driving, that kind of thing. And, you know, or, or you, you have like this health scare, and it's like, oh, man, I need to do life differently, handle my health better, you know, that kind of thing. So you have like this... T- 12 months, but for you, it's maybe 12 minutes, 12 hours, 12 days, you know, 12 weeks. You ever had one of these? Hang on, I think we all have. 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, here's what the king says. Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence? By my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. And I think as we start reading that, we can all go, oh no, I just can't believe you're saying that. Did you forget what happened 12 months ago? You know, I'd be living very carefully, Nebuchadnezzar, if I were you. But you know what? It's not just Nebuchadnezzar, is it? Let me just tell you a secret that I have learned from this whole thing that I've been dealing with. I told you last week, you know, I've been like working on killing this thing called pride in my life intentionally like 20 years. So let me just kind of tell you what I've learned about killing this thing called pride in my life because pride is so deeply woven into the fabric of our being. God most often has to put some kind of interruptory action into our life. God has to interrupt our lives in order to get our attention about our pride. Don't miss what I'm saying. Most of the time, The way that God gets our attention about our pride is through some form of interruption. And oftentimes, God's interruption is in a role or a responsibility or a blessing or an opportunity that we have. And the reason that God interrupts either a role or responsibility or blessing or an opportunity that we have is because it's his way of making us realize, you know, we've made it all about our agenda, our little kingdom, our priorities, our wishes, our dreams. I mean, don't miss this. Here is why God interrupts us to reveal our pride to us. You might want to write this down. Information does not break pride for most of us. Interruption does. Think think about this. God informed Nebuchadnezzar through a dream. He gave him information. And not only did God inform Nebuchadnezzar through a dream, he also gave him the interpretation of the dream through Daniel. But you know what? That was not enough, that was not even enough information to help Nebuchadnezzar kill the pride in his life. Because see, here's the thing we have to understand. Information alone does not bring about the development of the character quality of humility in our lives. You, you got to understand that. For most of us, I mean, you can sit through this series, sermon series for three weeks and go, oh, I've heard about pride. Yeah, we talked about pride. And, and you can deceive yourself into thinking that somehow that's killed pride. But information alone does not bring about the development of the character quality of humility for most of our lives. It takes an interruption from God for most of us. Look how God interrupts. Go to verse, the next verse, yeah. The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. Literally, you know, this is my kingdom, my majesty, my goodness. He's, he says, the words were still on his lip when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken 
from you. Literally, God has interrupted your life because information was not enough for you to kill the pride in your life. Listen, don't miss this. If God will interrupt the royal authority of the most powerful king in the world to teach him and all people around him how destructive pride is to us, don't think for a moment that you are so important that God will not interrupt your life as well. Now, how long did this interruption last? Well, look at verse 32. Until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Literally, God is going to interrupt until Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges that he's just a steward, that he's just a manager of the blessings, of the role, of the opportunities that God has gifted to him. And I want to tell you something, folks. This is where so many of us get caught up in the same snare of pride that Nebuchadnezzar did, and, and we don't even realize it. I mean, we, we think things like this. Well, I worked hard, or I'm working hard, and, and I've sacrificed, and, and I deserve what I have. I mean, I deserve everything I've gained, and, and you know, I can't, it just drives me crazy when other people get in my way. Because in our mind, we're making it happen, and other people are in our way. And it's so easy for us to lose sight of the fact that what we have is a gift. And if you really stop and think about it, what we have is, is really just a gift for a short period of time. And then one day, we're going to pass it on to someone else. So we're just a temporary manager of the gifts and the blessings of God. And then look at what happens. At the end of that time, literally at the end of that seven months, that seven years, that season, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. Listen, don't miss the significance of this statement. I raised my eyes toward heaven. Please hear this. Pride always takes our eyes off of God and focuses them on what I have, what I deserve, what I want, my little kingdom. See, pride always focuses us on our achievements, my accomplishments, my little kingdom. But I want you to notice what happens when Nebuchadnezzar starts thinking about the blesser instead of feeling entitled to the blessings. Notice what happens. He says, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored to me. Let, let me just stop right here and say this. Pride is a form of insanity. Because pride says, I can control everything. I can make everything happen. I, I'm, the, I'm the source and the resource. And if somebody would stand in front of us and tell us, you know, I've made all this stuff happen. You know, I deserve more. I've worked so hard. I've sacrificed. I've caused all this to happen in my life. You would look at them and go, they're crazy. They're insane. But you know, we do that all the time, don't we? Pride is a form of insanity. So at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. And then he goes on, he says, his dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. So he said, this lesson, it's for everyone. 
Not just this generation, but for next generations as well. And then he continues on. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Now don't miss this. How does God humble us? What I have learned in my life in working on killing this thing called pride is one of the primary ways that God humbles us is he uses interruptions to remind us that we are not in control. To, to remind us we, we didn't earn all of our blessings. To remind us we are not where we're at by our own strength and by our own effort. And for most of us, I mean, pride is so ingrained that just like Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, sometimes it takes a season of interruptions to get our attention. So, so here's the question that start making this story like really personal and practical for all of us. Let me give you this question. What is getting in, interrupted in your life right now? Oh, I want you to really think about that. What is getting interrupted in your life right now? Or another way of asking is this. What seems harder than it should in your life right now? See, the, the way interruptions often reveal themselves to us, don't miss this, is through our emotions. So, so let me ask you this. Where are you frustrated about something that's not moving forward fast enough for you? Where, where are you aggravated about something that's not turning out right the way that it should? I mean, where are you angry because something's not going the way you wanted it to go? See, here's what I've discovered in my life. Most of the time, when I'm experiencing anger, bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, frustration, aggravation, irritation, feeling overwhelmed, stressed out, whatever exhausting emotion that I am feeling, I have to ask myself this question. Could it be that God is trying to reveal pride in me so that I can kill it? See, could it be that in the greatest area of disappointment in your life, in the area of your greatest frustration right now, greatest aggravation right now, greatest irritation right now, whatever exhausting emotion that you have been feeling for the last week, for the last month, maybe for the last year, could it be that God is trying to reveal pride to you? And here's why this is so important for us to look at. Because see, the reason that God so opposes pride, that he's so deeply opposed to it, is it's not that God is threatened by high achievers. No, he's not. I mean, it's not like God's in heaven worried about, you know, somebody's gonna be a better God than he is. That's not what it is. See, the reason that God is so opposed to pride is because pride is anti-community and anti-servanthood. In fact, pride is the condition of the heart that is most fundamentally incompatible with love. And when you remove love from the equation, it destroys everything. And because of that, God will interrupt you to show you where pride is killing you. See, just like Nebuchadnezzar, God gave him a dream. God informed him of his pride. And God even sent someone to speak into what that dream meant. 
And, and God informs us all the times, but sometimes that's not enough. So God is going to also send interruptions. For some of you, it's in your day. For some of you, it's in your week. For some of you, it's in your month. And, and you know that interruption's there because you have this overwhelming, exhausting emotion of irritation, frustration, aggravation, anger. And sometimes that goes on for like a year and it's God's way of trying to get your attention about the pride in your life that you need to kill before it kills you. Listen, folks, and this has been a long journey for me and I'm still working on this, but I have learned that when I start experiencing the interruption of my emotion, like an exhausting emotion, frustration, aggravation, irritation, anger, all those kind of things, I need to lean into that interruption. Because most of the time, I've discovered it's God's way of interrupting my life to tell me that there is some pride in my life. So in order to kill this thing that's killing you, you, you really need to ask yourself this question. What is getting interrupted in your life right now? What, what is harder than it should be? Because see, God is as relentlessly opposed to pride right now as he was back then when Nebuchadnezzar was king. And God will interrupt anyone, any little kingdom, any life, any career, any family, any church, any organization that gets caught up in its own little level of achievement that needs to be reminded that heaven rules. And he'll, he'll interrupt until they remember. Now, we're not in control. Everything I have is a blessing from God. Heaven rules. So here's my question. Why, why would you wait for a nebuchadnezzar size interruption? Why wait on God to like completely remove everything that you think you deserve in order to get your attention? So, so I just want to challenge you. Man, take a moment today, this week, I mean, right now, ask yourself this question. What, what is getting interrupted in your life right now? What is harder right now than it should be? And then ask yourself this question. What is that telling me about where I might need to be dealing with some pride in my life? And then as you lean into that interruption, you do what King Nebuchadnezzar did in verse 34. Notice what he says. I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. You know what this literally means about Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar got to the point where many of you are at, but you haven't done this yet. I mean, you've been so irritated about this situation, so aggravated, so angry, so frustrated. And you lean into that and go, okay, what is God trying to show me about my, maybe some pride that's in my life that I need to kill? And then you come to this point in your life where you get down on your knees and you look up to heaven and you say, God, I'm not in control. I'm not God. You are. Everything that I have is a blessing from you. I am just a manager. And that's literally what happens. I, Nebuchadnezzar, I raised my eyes toward heaven. It's like, I got on my knees before God. I said, God, I, I'm not the greatest king you are. So here's what you do. You might want to write it down. You, you change your view from everything that's going on around you in your little kingdom. You, you change your view and you show gratitude to God for the thing that is causing the interruption. And you go, what do you mean? 
Well, well, for some of you, that interruption in your life, I mean, this thing's been so aggravating and irritating to you, I mean, it's your job. I mean, you're just ready to walk out the door, you're underappreciated, you're overworked, and it seems like there's really no impact in, the, in your job that you see for the future. And, and Nebuchadnezzar, we go, no, 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 stop. Stop. Lift your eyes. Get out on your knees and go, God, this job is so aggravating and irritating, but I understand I'm not in control. I'm not God. You lift your eyes to heaven, and then you thank God that you live in a country where walking out the door is an option because there's another job on the other side of the door. Thank God that you even have a job, that you're just blessed enough to be a person who could quit a job. Or maybe for you, it's your marriage. Maybe you've just been so aggravated, angry, frustrated, irritated about your marriage, and that's the big interruption in your life right now. You're just like sick of the same old fights, the same old incompatibilities. I mean, he never listens. She's never happy. I mean, you're done. You're ready to walk out the door. And Nebuchadnezzar goes, no, 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 you stop. And you lift your eyes to heaven. And you thank God that there's someone who's been willing to fight through the difficult stuff in a relationship with you. For some of you, you just need to thank God that there was someone willing to say yes in the first place. I just... (laughs) For some of you, maybe that interruption, that irritation, aggravation, frustration, Anger, bitterness, resentment, whatever's going on in your life, maybe for you it's, it's in the area of your, your kids. And you're going, it shouldn't be this hard to raise children. I mean, they look nothing or act nothing like those pictures in the magazines we saw before we had kids. It was all, everything was so perfect. You know, it just shouldn't be this hard. You start saying, you know, when are these kids going to start picking up after themselves? Or maybe you're like the teenage years. You go, man, why do I have to suffer through these teenage years? Why can't I have good teenage? You know, you get into that mindset and you're so frustrated and so aggravated and so irritated and you become angry and bitter. Never can ever go, no, stop. Here's what I've learned. No, no, you stop. And you get on your knees and you look up to heaven and you thank God that in a world where there are many, many couples who would just love to have the ability to have a child. And there are kids in this country who would love just the opportunity to be able to live with at least one of their parents. And you have your children with you. Thank God for that. That you have the opportunity to leave a legacy through your children. See, see, whatever is causing your interruption, whatever your interruption is that is causing that exhausting emotion, Lean into it. And then you get down on your knees and you lift your eyes toward heaven and you thank God for the thing that you've been taking for granted in that situation. And whatever you've been taking for granted, that is what has allowed pride to build up in your life. And then you kill that pride by exchanging it for gratitude. Remember this, folks. The Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. And those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. And how does he humble us? Most of the time, it's through allowing interruptions in our life 
that create exhausting emotions to remind us that we are not God. And when we remember this, when we remember this, that everything that we have is a gift from God, here's what I can tell you. Our sanity will restore. Because see, some of you, you're in this job and you're going, this job is driving me crazy. These kids are driving me crazy. This marriage is driving me crazy. Pride is a form of insanity. Maybe it's really our pride that is driving us crazy. And it's not our job, and it's not our marriage, and it's not our kids. Because here's what I've learned over the last 15 or 20 years. And I can promise you this is true. But the lower the level of pride, I watch my hands here. The lower the level of pride I have, the fewer the exhausting emotions I have. The greater the level of pride I have, the greater the level of exhausting emotions that I experience. And the same is true for every one of you. Because so those exhausting emotions, those emotions that drive you crazy, most of them are God's way of interrupting you to reveal pride to you. But you know what? When we get down on our knees and we lift our eyes to heaven and we begin to be grateful for the blessings that we've taken for granted, can I tell you what will happen? Our focus will be clear. All of a sudden we go, oh, maybe it's not my job. Maybe it's not my marriage. Maybe it's not my children. Maybe it's my pride. And when we recognize that, our sanity will be restored. Let me pray for you on all of our campuses, and we're going to turn it over to the campus pastors on each campus. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this moment in time where we get the opportunity to really just pause and see what you're up to in our lives. God, how you want to help us be able to kill that thing that has a potential to kill us. God, I just pray that you help us to stop and ask ourselves, what, what is it that is so hard right now? That's harder than it should be. Where, where am I just aggravated, irritated, frustrated, angry all the time? Then God, I pray that you help us to lean into that. And ask ourselves, what is this revealing to me about myself? Maybe there's some pride that God wants to kill here. And God, I just thank you that when we lean into it, and we lift our eyes toward heaven, at that point, our sanity can be restored. And we can start getting clarity. We thank you. We thank you that you love us enough to tell us these things. In Jesus' wonderful name, we say, amen.